say Happy Mother's Day again, and uh, when I mentioned the, to Jeremy that my topic was not a traditional Mother's Day message, it was the story about James and John calling down fire from heaven, he said, uh, well, that's what my mother did to me. So maybe the sermon fits this morning better than I first thought. We're continuing in the Gospel of Luke, and I've decided to plot along. In order to go to Jerusalem from Capernaum, Jesus and his entourage logically would pass through Samaria. It was the shorter route. And so the messengers were sent on ahead to secure reservations for the night. And of course, the Samaritans saw this rather large band of Jewish brothers and sisters crossing and trudging across their land to worship in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans refused to welcome Jesus and his group. Of course, in the background, there are hundreds of years of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, particularly at Passover, which was nearing as those from Galilee made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate at the Jewish temple there, while the Samaritans had set their worship site in a different place on Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans entangle Jesus' people at this point with all of their contentious Jewish Samaritan history that at this very point Jesus can't seem to get out of the way of. The bad blood had a lot of uh, colorful history. In fact, on one Passover, the Samaritans dug up some graves and they threw the bones in the Jewish temple court, preventing the Jews from celebrating their feast. So the next year, the Jews said, okay, we'll just burn down the Samaritan's temple. You remember the disciples had been sent out previously in the early part of Luke chapter 9 and had given the power to heal and to cast out demons. And apparently at this particular juncture, James and John thought they had the zeal of Elijah too. You remember Elijah, years before, had called on God to cast down fire on the priests of Baal. So why not call down heaven now like Elijah? And I believe the disciples, when they make this request in our text, feel like they are on the moral high ground. They were defending the Lord and defending His reputation. And our text particularly says, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? From heaven is a big giveaway that they were confident that they were on the side of what was right. Let's say for a moment that they were 100% in the right 
the question still comes to them and to us. How do we handle our rightness? How do you respond when you feel you are right, but you're treated wrongly? Well, James and John could have looked to the Old Testament law, to the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, but it didn't seem to be on their radar screen at the moment. They could have recalled God's deeper truth that retaliation is never the answer to injustice received. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, Deuteronomy 32 and 35. And hadn't Jesus already told His disciples how to handle this situation anyway? When he called them to serve him, didn't he say to them, when you go out and you're not welcomed, then do what? Shake the dust off of your feet and move on. We read that section of Scripture just a few weeks ago. Then again, they, James and John, seem to have missed the point of the Sermon on the Plain and recall how Jesus said, judge not, and yet it is our instinctive reaction to a situation. Judge not, not meaning that we don't ever make judgments. It means don't let your quick, impulsive reactions rule you. Make judgments after first referencing the Father God and His love and His mercy. For the disciples like us, when you are in the heat of the moment, judging becomes second nature. And then finally, Jesus in this whole setting and this whole scene is about what? The kingdom of God, God's way, God's rule, God's life in the world. Picture God's world where the Lord leads with love and peace, and there's no room in that scene for violence. Because you see, Jesus' priority was to save Samaria through a march to the cross. So destroying it was not in His headset. And in fact, every passage in Scripture related to Samaria reinforces how much He loved them. In spite of this contentiousness between Jews and Samaritans. Remember the story of the woman at the well? She's from Samaria. Remember the story of the ten lepers and the one that returns is a Samaritan. Remember the hero of that famous story called the Good Samaritan, the one who acts with sacrifice and compassion when everyone else was indifferent. 
You see, Jesus stood with the Samaritans even when everyone else in his entourage presumably despised them. He did this because he loved them. And he knew that his work was to hang on a cross for them. How do you make decisions? How do you make kingdom of God decisions? Jesus following decisions real time in your life. It's no small thing. Much, if not most, of the time the disciples missed the mark. And I suppose, suppose we do too. I think of my own background. Start with my dad. He was quick to call down fire from somewhere. And I don't know that I think it was always from heaven. It was just too hot. Sometimes I'm surprised when I think back of all the scenarios and all the times when I experienced it or saw it, I'm surprised that I'm as healthy as I am. He owned his own company and was the boss for an asphalt paving crew, and he worked hard, but he didn't suffer fools lightly. I watched him get in a fight with one of his employees, just beating one another up on the shop floor after he got so frustrated with him. I saw him get upset at a truck driver and throw a shovel from 20 feet at the side mirror because he saw the man's reflection in the mirror. And another time we had just finished putting down fresh tar on a mile of country road and about to cover it with stone when this driver came through like a maniac running through the fresh tar. Well, it was hard on the man's car But when my dad, he went crazy at that point, and he took a shovel and threw it through the man's windshield. In this day, it would have caused a lawsuit. Somehow he got away with it at that time. He could have been named like James and John, son of thunder. And with my quick anger and reactionary spirit, I can easily be a grandson of the Son of Thunder. My question this morning is how do you handle being wronged when you're in the right? When you feel rejected, when you feel unwelcomed, when you feel stereotyped, when when they say to you, you band of Jews... How do you handle being misunderstood? Don't they understand that we are simply Jewish travelers, but travelers of the Most High Messiah? When you feel snubbed, when your reaction, you're feeling reactionary in your heart, and you want to say, let's burn this place down. When people judge you, for who they think you are when people judge you 
without knowing you. For nine chapters of this gospel, Jesus has been teaching us a different way, his way of the kingdom. And it draws upon the Old Testament, but it goes beyond the Old Testament to the heart of God and God's plan. And I'd like to give you, in just a few brief minutes, three response strategies for evaluating your reactions. All of these require you to step back in those moments of tension or contention or rejection or judgment. They require you to take a deep breath. They require you to offer a prayer or maybe more than one. Here's the first point. God's big story Will my response honor God's mission? There are several ways I could have said this. God's story, God's plan, God's redemptive work in the world. Don't start with yourself. Start with Him. Often we allow an offense to take on epic proportions And Jesus invites us to begin in a different place. Consider the big picture of what he is doing in the world. And so in our text, Luke 9 and verse 51 says that he resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. That is with a certain strengthened focus and determination like no time previously, Jesus had his eye on the ball. And it was to go to the cross, go to Jerusalem on our behalf, to finish his work on earth. He knew what was important and what was not. And he knew that the battle he was in and what was worth fighting for, and what was worth dying for. I believe we need to see ourselves in that way also. The second point is identity. Will my response fit my identity as a Jesus follower? That asks the question something like this, who am I? Who do I belong to? You see, it was these disciples, James and John and Peter, who had just come off the mountain a little bit earlier in the chapter in the transfiguration. And what had they heard in that scene that we talked about just a few weeks ago as Jesus was enlightened and he was trying to enlighten them? And in that enlightenment, what had they heard? Heaven's last words still ringing in their ears was this. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. 
And so we ask ourselves as we step back, does this action fit who I am as a follower of the King? Jesus forms our identity first and foremost. Now get this, not your family, not your career, not your need to prove something, not your political views, not your first impulses. Our path forward is being a child of God. And He came to call us and to show us what it means to be a human being in relationship to God. Now what we're going to do here is we're going to try to begin to triangulate. And if we'll first start with that underlying point of worldview or big picture, the storyline of the Bible, that's one point. The second point is identity, who am I, and then here's the third. It's related to ethics. It's what I will call, how shall I then live? The lifestyle we're being called to, the attitudes and actions, and remember in the very gospel where James and John already had heard the story and they heard the sermon, Jesus says to them in verse 27 and 28 of Luke chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Plain, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus might have said, love you, love you Samaritans. Do good to the Samaritans who hate you. Bless those Samaritans who curse you. Pray for those Samaritans who mistreat you. You see, our future is not determined by any external agency, by how anyone treats you. The sons of thunder got it wrong that evening. We are not to judge or condemn or retaliate. For followers of Jesus, how we respond is not shaped by what others think or by our past or by our instincts or, get this one, by our hurts, but by God's goodness calling us forward. We 
are a part of something so significant and so infused and enriched by God's outrageous love and peace and hope. The big story. How do you relate to God's mission? The question of identity. To whom do I belong? My ethics then follow. How do I then live? This is strong medicine. But in those areas of conflict and tension and hurt, we take a step back. We remember our baptism. We acclaim again what God has done for us and is doing in us. And we continue it daily as the good physician orders. This is our life to grow as Jesus Christ shapes us, both now and readies us for eternity. May the Lord bless you this week. Thank you.